Welcome back to Three Decades of Tragedy, a history of the Thirty Years' War. I have no announcements for this episode, so let's get started. So last time we talked about Denmark's entry into this war in the beginning of the aggression. I say beginning because we'll get to the actual war a little bit later in the series, not this episode. Now, this episode, we're going to cover Wallenstein, who had a major change happen to him between the Bohemian Revolt and now. Wallenstein had actually been promoted to Major General after service against Bethlen, which was mentioned in the Paladins part. He was a relatively junior rank at that point, but it allowed him to have enough pay to raise his own army. He also used that method to raise his status politically, as Wallenstein's army was a way for the Imperial forces to bring their own force to bear, instead of just being attached to Tilly and Maximilian's Bavarian forces. There was internal rivalry, as the Emperor was a bit wary of the fact that Tilly and Maximilian were the forefronts of this war, and not him. Tilly and Wallenstein negotiated... And Wallenstein was allowed to recruit 18,000 infantry and 6,000 cavalry. However, other people were asking for armies and troops too, which included the Spanish who were skirmishing against the French in Lombardy. The French and Spanish fighting wasn't a new thing, especially because it was Habsburgs, and France wasn't a big fan of the Habsburgs, seeing as they were two different dynasties. Now we'll come up later in this, in this podcast. Much, much later, but still will come up. Despite being promised around 24,000 troops, Wallenstein could only gather on 11,500 men, which was enough to act as a field army and fight in major battles, and didn't match Tilly's numbers, but it was less than he wanted. However, it did mean that the forces of Ferdinand were on the same level as the Catholic League, and showed that they were not just serving the Bavarians. Wallenstein also did not want to be treated like a subordinate of Tilly, which showed he had independent streak and political ambition. On the whole, by 1626, the military forces of Ferdinand were growing. In the early part of the year, Wallenstein could only get around 16,000 men, and much of them were raw recruits. By later in the year, the number grew to around 70,000, which outnumbered Tilly 2 to 1. Tilly only had a 20,000-man main army, while the rest were garrisons. The main reason it grew so much was Mansfield invaded to at least in October, and that will be covered as we get into the war. And the growing of the military was also to present an overwhelming force to negotiate better with Christian IV. By 1628, the total number of Ferdinand and Wallenstein's force would be around 110,000, which was a lot, especially for this time period where armies were usually 30,000 or less. There was actually, in this time period, was just, is when we started really growing armies into what we imagine as these armies of hundreds of thousands of people. Because previously, armies were not that big. It's a very interesting trend of the growing military power of Europe at this time period. This overall growth and military strength showed the growing political power and trusted Wallenstein to lead the Imperial forces. Which, I'll say, is a bit shakier than it is led to believe, at least from what you'd imagined. But I'll cover that in detail later. There's also a growing rivalry between Tilly and Wallenstein, even if it was more political political than than like a personal grudge at this point that's not said it won't be there won't be personal issues between the two of them but for now it will stay that way but it will create issues later on however Wallenstein's methods a new army wasn't without complaint many of the existing generals at the time generals field commanders field marshals whatever you want to call them were resentful of his rapid promotion and political growth it's kind of hard to watch some guy, some new young guy rise up in ranks, especially if you're an older officer, and that was kind of where his main complaints came from, although younger officers who were also politically ambitious also complained about it. Wallenstein also had to deal with the issues that all generals at this time had to deal with. Because of the lack of communication technologies that we have today, it was hard to maintain a unified command structure, especially when the army would separate out, because that would require days of travel between information, people would get their own bits of territory, and sometimes this wouldn't respond. 
Many nobility would demand appointments as commanders, even if they lacked skills, and people like Ferdinand would sometimes be forced to accept that, seeing as they were major supporters or major financial backers. So, effectively, you would have incompetent people in charge because of money and political power. Not saying it doesn't happen today. I mean, I can't say it's civilian cases. Militaries tend to be less on that front. You still gotta go through officer academies, but there's all comments about that, so take from that what you will. These people, especially the ambitious ones, would not operate under commands. They would not always follow orders to the letter of the law, or sometimes they didn't follow orders. They might not join an army if they were to join, etc., etc., which I can imagine would be frustrating as a commander. Garrisons were also not run by Wallenstein or someone like him. They were run by the generally the leaders or mayors of towns, and they didn't have to report back to high-ranking commanders necessarily, which meant that they were doing their own thing and not telling anybody. It's effectively either trying to herd cats or the right hand not knowing what the left hand is doing. Trying to run a whole front or a whole command structure just wasn't feasible at this time, even for people like Gustavus Adolphus, who would come along later. This model effectively relied on the quality of your subordinates and how much they listened to you and were loyal to you. So if you had good commanders who were loyal to you, you would get things done, you could be effective, yada, yada, yada. But if they were bad, a war could collapse more easily and require a lot more work to fix or even not be able to fix at all. Which plagued the paladins, I would say, as they were a fairly ununified structure. So I don't necessarily blame Wallenstein for all his frustrations and issues with his other subordinates, as this was a common theme at this time. Ferdinand generally followed this old model of armies, which meant he retained the power to appoint and promote generals and commanders, although Wallenstein could nominate his choices. Ferdinand was also part of the War Council, because as the Emperor, but he didn't do much other than pass some decisions, although nothing was really of a strategic nature that he helped, which meant the command was fragmented and each guy was doing what he wanted or what he thought was correct, which meant all the flaws I mentioned earlier was sticking around and would create issues. So while he had 70,000 men, for example, he had 70,000 men that he had no idea what half of them were doing. I don't know the exact numbers, but you know, that sort of deal. The commands also spread out, which meant further distances, more time for communication issues, creating another issue. There are also commands that were not necessarily under Wallenstein. A number of other more senior commanders were given commands to places in hereditary Habsburg land, Hungary, and Milan, which were all effectively out of Wallenstein's reach. He could not control those troops. So, again, 70,000 to 100,000 troops, not all of them he could access. So Wallenstein, to get around the fact that he couldn't choose, focused on the colonel level of troops, which is regiments, which was about a couple thousand men. Those choices were generally not opposed by the emperor or anybody else in political things, considering those were relatively smaller positions. And by 1627, he was even allowed to appoint Protestants, which seems strange because of the whole Protestant-Catholic thing, but he could pull skilled commanders out of those groups. One subordinate note was a Brandenburgian Lutheran by the name of Arnim, who would become a field marshal by 1628 and was actually Wallenstein's second-in-command, and would remain as such. Wallenstein also was interesting in that he showed less, I think you could call it uh, snobbishness. He wasn't, like, completely blue-blooded. For one, he picked an illiterate Walloon by the name of Gilda Haas, who would actually eventually become a Bavarian general. Funny enough, a lot of the older commanders and older officers would mock these new officers, saying they were so young that they couldn't grow beards. Effectively, they looked down upon any people who didn't either fit their social class or just were young and didn't have the skills that they did. Seems a bit cruel, but you're dealing with nobility here. It's how it is. 
However, the rapid expansion of the military, despite what it sounds like, created a quality problem. As the number of troops expanded, the quality of them decreased. So 14 of the 15 regiments that existed before this growth of troops remained, whereas only 66 of the 103 newly raised regiments that were raised during Wong Xin's command at this time period would survive into the future, or at least into the later parts of this war. These regiments mostly collapsed due to the colonel who would lead the regiment, their inability to maintain a sufficient amount of troops in their contract, which they effectively sort of were mercenaries in a way. They weren't necessarily the same setup, but they had to hire and pay troops and that sort of thing. Discipline would also suffer, which led in particular a commander named Marode, who was, I believe, another Wallonian, or at least he was French, led to the term Marauder. I, I couldn't really find any solid evidence on this one. It's not exactly 100% true, but it's still a sign that discipline among troops wasn't exactly the best, especially as you got more and more troops. This is also a problem in modern militaries when you, when you start doing conscription. The more people you bring into a war, the less quality you have to make them in order to have them function. That happened in with the v, with the U.S. Army after Vietnam due to the draft, which armies don't like drafts in tr because, again, they lower quality. Especially if you want to be a professional army, it's not good for your image because you kind of have to let go of minor discipline issues or stuff like that that normally would be sh shut down. The other issue Wallenstein ran into with this discipline model was, again, mercenaries. You could put them under your discipline model, but, again, they could always turn and betray you or just walk off. They were mercenaries. So Wallenstein was trying to work with an army size that required greater technology and more centralization than existed at the time. Wallenstein also had to do with a core of old officers he inherited, and many of them had their own political connections beyond Wallenstein. Some of them were even imperial princes, and many of them tend to be more lax in the discipline of their troops, which led to degradation because Wallenstein had to deal with them, but he couldn't push them as much as he wanted to. Because at best, these men tend to be lukewarm for Wallenstein, as he was a young upstart who was pushing his luck. And these people could find alternate patrons to supply troops, pay, get money from, etc. Especially if they had connections to Ferdinand. Wallenstein also had to deal with this disloyalty among these men. Because he couldn't support the ambitions of all the commanders. Some of them wanted posts. Many of them would act against Wallenstein's disapproval of mass looting and plundering. While others accused him of having a bias towards Germans and Bohemians. Which he certainly did not have. As shown by sort of future stuff that will be mentioned. This frustration at command and all these issues dealt with to somewhat led to Wallenstein being prone to violent outbursts, which pushed more people away from him. Although, with the amount of frustration that he had to deal with, especially with political infighting, lack of a unified command structure, and just personal things, I can see where that comes from. Although, some of it was a little bit on his personality. He was also not necessarily helped by the fact that there were commands outside of his, like I mentioned before. One in particular of note was... Count Mansfield, a.k.a. the Paladin, he had a distant relation, probably cousin of some kind, named Wolfgang Mansfield. He was a Saxon commander during the Bohemian Revolt before joining the Emperor's Court in 1622. And by 1628, he was given command in Italy, which meant Wallenstein couldn't do anything with him or, or force him to give him troops. He could only ask him. So while Wallenstein being put in charge of the military sounds like some sort of, oh, well, he was given a lot of power, in reality... There was a lot less than you would imagine, which, as shown in this war, he will do a lot of good work with his army. He did it in spite of what he had, not because of what he had. You can, again, I'm not going to say one way or the other whether how much of it was on him versus how much of it was on the people under his command. That's probably a historical debate, which, I mean, feel free to have your own opinion on that and do some research on Wallenstein yourself. He's an interesting guy. I will say he is in the top five commanders in this entire war, at least currently for my research. So, he's still up there, despite his problems. 
I want to thank you for listening in, and I hope you're enjoying the podcast. Next week, there's going to be a rather large section on money issues in relation to Wallenstein and raising money for the army. So it won't be a simple thing. The social media links will be in the description box or in the links themselves, depending on where you're listening to the podcast. Reminder, I have a Patreon if you wish to support me, and I'll see you guys next time.